Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. When I was in the fourth grade, Tuesdays at 10.15 were my very favorite time. Those 15 minutes were going to be spectacular. Right on cue, there was a knock on the door of the classroom. It would open up, we would all turn our heads, and there on a cart was a television set. It was secured so it wouldn't topple over and we watched in amazement as a TV was brought into our room. It was turned on. It was tuned to the local PBS station. And then and there we watched for 15 minutes a program by the name of Book Bird. Book Bird was amazing. It was an individual who would tell the story of a young adult book that we might be interested in reading. But that's not all he did. He sketched a scene from the book. Oh, y'all, it was, it was amazing. This man right there could tell the story and sketch Laura Ingalls Wilder. Or a dog or a, a bear in a forest. Well, one particular day, The story that he was telling was from the book, My Side of the Mountain, by Gene Craighead George. And I knew within the first few moments of the sketching and of the plot line that this was the kind of book I wanted to read. So I lied to the teacher mid-program and said that I needed to use the bathroom. I did not need to use the bathroom. I needed to get to the library to check this book out before any of my classmates could. So I snuck down the hallway beyond the bathrooms, went into the library. The librarian, for whatever reason, did not care that I was there without the class. And I checked out, perhaps stolen, the book, My Side of the Mountain. And I loved this story about a teenage boy in the wilderness. It tells the story of Sam Gribley. Sam lives in New York City, and he's one of many children that belongs to a father. They live in a cramped space there together, and he feels invisible. But he always loved hearing the story that his father told about their family land upstate toward the Catskill Mountains. And so one day, with $40 in his pocket, he ran away from home. He ran away from home, and he located the forest there in the mountains, the wilderness, and he chooses to live there by himself. He finds a large tree. He hews it out and creates a home there. He learns how to fish for his own food. He learns how to make his own clothes. He finds a way to survive the elements. And as a boy, heck, as an adult, I love this story of wilderness. There's power in wilderness. When we go to the wilderness in our own backyards for beauty, for solitude, 
to feel one with God's creation in nature. There's also in wilderness a kind of honesty and purity that you cannot find in more civilized areas. We live on the edge of wilderness, and I don't believe we do so by accident. We love this boundary and this stretch of space in our front or backyards or up the holler on the other side of the ridgeline. That's wild. That's true. There is wisdom in avoiding the wilderness. Wilderness is isolating. It's dangerous. And let's face it, it can kill you. The most dramatic stories about people in the wilderness tend to come when the individuals are unprepared for what they find. Some of us are familiar with the story Into the Wild about Christopher McCandless, who from the suburbs had a hunger and a thirst to be alone, to be in the raw, unadulterated space of the wilderness. So he goes to Alaska and unfortunately... He's not prepared for the hard and harsh elements that he encounters. There are other stories. They're in your Netflix queue. They um, litter your bookshelves. Stories like The Life of Pi, of an individual who finds himself out on an ocean, a different kind of wilderness, or perhaps about those numerous Arctic expeditions that got trapped in the ice and had to do Horrible things to stay alive and to trek hundreds of miles to civilization. We know these stories. We're drawn to these stories. The wilderness has an uncanny ability to strip away our defenses and to weaken our resolve. With nothing left to distract us when we are beyond cell phone coverage... We can be vulnerable to nagging fears and doubts about ourselves and our futures. And of course you know that there are many different kinds of wilderness than just the forest. We know about the wilderness of addiction, of recovery, of depression, of anguish, of loneliness. Oh yes, there are many different kinds of wilderness that we find ourselves in. Jesus was driven into the wilderness. It's that story right there. The story of Jesus being baptized, hearing those words from his father that he is the sun. And immediately after coming up from the water, the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Hungry, thirsty, uncomfortable, Jesus had to confront some hard truths. Questions were raised while Jesus was in the wilderness that he could not easily dismiss. They are the same questions that we encounter in the wildernesses that we find ourselves in. The first question, 
is important. It's the question of Jesus's identity. I mean, really, who are you? If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan begins his dialogue and his testing with Jesus by asking him about his God-given identity. I mean, it raises a good question, right? Did, did Jesus hear God correctly? I mean, maybe he was hearing things. Maybe, maybe he wasn't listening when that voice echoed through the canyon Maybe he didn't get it right. Maybe, just maybe, he's not God's son after all. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, we too find ourselves doubting who we are. And we are tempted to believe things about ourselves that are not true. Jesus presses on. And yet Satan doesn't go away that easily. No, he revisits the same question. No, 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 wait a second, Jesus. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on the hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Once again, Satan is raising the question of Jesus' identity. Who is he really? Satan quotes Holy Scripture. It's Psalm 91, and it's an acknowledgement that God will care for his own. But it's more than that. Satan is teasing and tempting Jesus into revealing himself to the world to make it clear who he is. When we're insecure about ourselves, about our performance, about our work, about our contribution, when we have these crises of identity, we're inclined to be tempted to become strangely self-centered and starved for attention. That's what Satan is doing here. He's asking and tempting and teasing Jesus to make his identity abundantly clear. Do something extraordinary. Do something that will get everybody's attention. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this sound like social media? I mean, talk about a wilderness. At what other place do you most doubt yourself? Especially when you see others so much more efficient, effective, successful, attractive than you are. So you know what you need to do? Jesus, just click on ad. Click on a new post and make it clear. Show up in all of your glory. Step out there with a campaign of exhibitionism that will make it clear who you are. When we doubt ourselves, you know what we do? We put on a good show. <laughs> we put on a good show while we look at ourselves in the mirror. We frequently don't feel like we're enough, do we? Especially when we're in the wilderness. 
So in response to that crisis of who we are, we feel like we have to manufacture our own exposure. And lastly, there's the question of power and ambition. It's the third of Jesus' temptations. Satan says, all this, all that you see here, look at the kingdoms of the world, look at their armies, look at their boundaries, look at their conquests, all of these I will give you, if you will. But bow down, fall down, and worship me. I mean, y'all, this is straight up eerie. This is the moment in the story that we find ourselves with goosebumps. Why? Because the kingdoms of the world, they belong to Satan. We get the point, but we fail to appreciate it. To have the kingdoms of the world, y'all, you got to make a deal with the devil. Jesus, in that moment, when he can have everything that we want, power, control, his kingdom come, he chooses service. He chooses solidarity with the people. He chooses sacrifice and crucifixion. Jesus rejects nationalism. He rejects political power that we know and talk about and read about in our news feeds. I mean, y'all, this one stings. We yearn for power, for prestige, for influence, through violence and privilege, and Satan is showing Jesus the way. And yet, Jesus stays strong, and he does not prostitute himself for Satan to have the world's powers. And with that, Jesus dispatches Satan. And the devil obeys and leaves him, and the angels come and wait on him. Jesus could have lost his life there in the wild. Worse, he could have lost his soul. Why did the Spirit drive him into such a dangerous place? With as Mark will describe it, with wild beasts and dark shadows. Why would the Spirit begin Jesus' life and ministry in this way? Well, that one is simple, y'all. Jesus goes into the wilderness because that's where we live most of our lives. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is going to encounter us, the wilderness is where Jesus will find us. So, of course, he'd best be familiar with the landscape and the wild beasts that roam the night. Jesus goes into the wilderness for the same reason that Philip did. He was obedient to the Father. Now, careful observers will see that Jesus survived the wilderness by quoting Holy Scripture, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, that's the songbook of the the faithful Jewish people, 
He survived the wilderness because he knew God's word and combated Satan's use of it himself. Additionally, when he was tempted with personal fulfillment and contentment and pleasure, Jesus instead reaffirmed his loyalty and obedience to his heavenly father. And above all, especially when tempted with political power, Jesus prioritized humility and in worshiping and serving God. Y'all, if we want to get through the wilderness, whatever that wilderness might be, we best it close to Jesus because he knows the way through it. Besides, he can whisper the truth in our ears and in our hearts when we hear voices of doubt. Jesus will tell us that we are children of God, that we belong to him. Jesus will whisper into our ears that we are enough and that we don't have to manufacture our own blessing. Jesus will tell us that the way to the kingdom of God is through service, not power, not violence, not privilege that the authorities of the world are so good at. As it turns out, Philip isn't the only one who is sent out into the wilderness. No, Jesus is sent into the wilderness too. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did not come to demolish or to tear apart the world and all who are in it. Jesus comes into the wilderness of this world to save us. And our journey through the same wilderness is redemptive when we recognize that Jesus is right there beside us, especially when we don't recognize him. When the way becomes hard and heavy, it is imperative that we keep walking. We won't always be in the desert. And it's imperative that we keep walking on the lookout. For an oasis. For water. For a place in the desert that will bring us nourishment. You know, these oasis, these, these fountains of living water, they're more frequent than you think. That's why we gather here on Sundays. We walk and slog and fight and fuss through wilderness all week long. So we come here together to drink deeply of the water that Christ Jesus gives us, calling it living water in a land of death. I've given us individuals who will point out to us the truth that, look, here is water. Look, here is nourishment. And we're invited in this space to take a break and to sip from Christ's bounty. Like Elijah and like Jesus, God will tend to our needs at these special places. You know how Sam Gribbley survives his time in the wilderness, right? Because, of course, it's not a cakewalk. He's run away from home. He finds himself there in a deep, dark forest. It's cold at night. He never really warms up during the day. He struggles. He claws. He doubts himself. 
He considers giving up and going back. Do you know what keeps him there? It's the community that he builds and finds in the wilderness. It's the librarian in town just a few miles away that shows him the kind of books that he will need to survive. It's the college professor that he meets up with who's hiking and camping in the area. It's the friends of the of the professor that's there that come back at Christmas and play instruments in his home. It's his father and his brothers that make a trip up to visit him. It's the animals and all of creation that he sees not as dangerous foes, but as allies and friends. Sam survives the wilderness because he encounters people who know the way and who know how to keep the fire going and their stomach's full. I don't know about you guys, but that sure sounds like church to me. Let us pray. God, thank you for the gift of this oasis and of the church that you have developed and forged in the wilderness. God, we're dealing with all kinds of things, and in the midst of it, it's, there's doubt. There's the temptation to manufacture our own blessing and there is that unquenchable thirst and hunger for us to have more power and more control. God, walk with us so that we might banish the demons that gnaw at our souls. Invite us to your fountain, an oasis in the desert, so that we can be nourished for the rest of our journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.